0: the official drive with Lloyd Paul It's 4.30 on Human Rights Day. It's a Monday afternoon right here on The Official Drive. Now, guys, what does home mean to you? Is it about a sense of belonging? And uh, These are pertinent questions as we commemorate Human Rights Day in South Africa today. Writer and political economist Ismail Lagadin explores this in his book Too White to be Colored, Too Colored to be Black. And it's our pleasure to have him live on Lotus FM on The Official Drive this afternoon. Good afternoon, Ismail. And welcome to the show. Thank
1: you very much for having me.
0: Now, Ismail, firstly, before we discuss the book, Anti-Racism Week, culminate today with Human Rights Day. According to the 2019 South African Reconciliation Barometer, the majority of South African, 66% that is, feel that racism has not been addressed. In your opinion, Ismail, what is needed to dismantle racism and what are the stumbling blocks currently in South Africa?
1: Well, one of the stumbling blocks is that we continue to be classified according to race. That, that's not something we're going to eradicate anytime soon. I don't think the, uh, the liberation movement that governs us uh, has any intention of doing that because it turned out to be a sort of sliding scale of privilege and pecuniary gain. In other words, uh, the more African you are, the more justice you, you get, and the less African you are, you know, the further down the scale of justice you are. We've created this scale of justice. As if justice is divisible, when it when it's not. And on the other hand, there's still a lot of hurt and a lot of anger underneath, uh, brewing underneath in our in our psyche, our, our national consciousness, if you will. And our leaders, um, especially the populist ones, have done nothing to address that. They've done more to whip that up. I have, in the last 10 years, been told. In numerous times that I don't belong, that I'm not an African, that I should go back to Asia or that my family should go back to where they come from, I've received death threats. I've, so it's, the popular step has tapped into that dissent and that un, dissatisfaction, all of which is, sort of, is is rooted in our socioeconomic problems.
0: Ismail, tell us, what was the catalyst for writing Too White to be Coloured, Too Coloured to be Black?
1: Well, the catalyst was—it it wasn't sort of a cathartic moment, you know. It, it just sat with me uh, for a couple of months, and then my, I, I discussed it briefly with a publisher a friend, a, a very good friend of mine, and she said, "Why don't you sit down and write it?" But there were a few catalytic moments over the last throughout my my childhood, uh, and now let me just briefly tell you about the childhood ones. I'm uh, come from a, what's known as a traditional Malay family. And so I spent most of my life in, in the broad colored uh, Indian community. That's sort of where we lived in, in, in Fitas and in Dorado Park, Island Asia. I was always singled out because I had green eyes and a fair skin. Um, so I come from this line of family that, you know, we can all trace our, our DNA back to Southeast Asia, which I have to happen to have done, but for, Some reason most of them look either Indian or Southeast Asian and then I show up in the middle of this you know five or six generations that look completely European and uh, so I was persecuted a lot as a child Um, I took a lot of physical beatings when I was at school people would would tell me things that you know whenever I got good grades uh, my friends would say teacher only likes you because you have green eyes I got a lot of very many beatings uh, as a child fall specifically because I was fair-skinned so it was it was difficult then because I was so fair-skinned uh, to fit into the colored community or to be accepted although you know I shouldn't you know it wasn't all bad it, but I did go through a lot and then uh, you know I, I was a journalist and even when I got promoted as a journalist uh, my colleagues would say well you only got it because you're fair-skinned and you are you're holding it back black excellence
0: If I can just come in there You also worked as a reporter on that point In the turbulent 80s in South Africa, right? And you studied at the uh, London School of Economics and Political Science Now, you also achieved a doctorate at the University of Wales And worked as a speechwriter at the World Bank in Washington How do you draw on all those experiences now And bring this to your book?
1: Well, I I draw some of that But, you know, I'm, I'm also fully, in the book I'm also fully aware of my own shortcomings And... You know, I don't make a big deal of all the, of the time. There, there are times that help shape my current outlook on life, but you know, I don't claim any greatness or praise from all of those things. Uh, I, I do accept that I'm profoundly lucky, um, you know, nobody in my family has finished high school and I come from a community, you know, not unlike vast communities in, in Phoenix or Chatsworth where, you know, the poverty is and large families and we're all struggling make ends meet so i for some reason i was just very lucky that i uh, some people thought i was clever and i managed to get scholarships and go and study abroad and then i ended up in the office of the chief economist of the world bank so you know it's i don't make a big deal of that but they do you know they sort of broaden my intellectual horizons even though i'm still struggling with the intellectual part
0: now home and belonging how did you find these and tell us about your personal journey as well in this regard
1: what is home? Home is where you feel you belong. Home is where you feel you have fe- friends and family who can throw their arms around you during times of difficulty. And home is where you feel recognized, where you feel accepted. And I found that, you know, being so isolated and so searched out for violence and abuse, that I never felt uh, quite at home in my community as a child. And now I come back to a country. That, that seems really alien to me. Well, I came back 10 years ago, but it feels very alien to me because, uh, you know, you get uh, populists like Julius Malema, uh, were told Africa belongs to the Africans, uh, you know, and I'm not an African, so ergo, I, I don't belong. And, you know, it extends to the insult that Pravin Gordon has to take about being an Indian, and, uh, I get messages to go back to Asia, so you constantly feel that you just don't belong and this is what I this is the sense that I have. So it, it's quite uh, disappointing, it's disheartening and it, it, it leaves you in a sense of displacement.
0: Now having said that internationally uh, South Africa is still seen as uh, the rainbow nation and to what extent would you say listen, we are living up to this but uh, we have a lot of work to do, isn't it?
1: I think we've lost a lot of that optimism. I've also been lucky. In that I've traveled to very, very many countries around the world, and especially in the last since 2007, South Africa has lost a lot of moral authority in the world. When Nelson Mandela was around, when uh, Thabo Becky early in Thabo Mbeki, and we had Trevor Manuel as finance minister, Tito Mbueni as governor of the Reserve Bank, South Africa became recognized for its excellence and for the moral authority. Now, moral authority, this is sort of an intellectual argument in political science. I'm not a political scientist. Uh, that moral authority is a political resource. But since 2007, we've been losing that. That luster has disappeared. So we're now looked at in, in quite different, in quite a different way because the liberation movement that governs us has gone so far astray. That I have found that some of the Scandinavian and European countries that have all these years supported the ANC are profoundly unhappy and disappointed. And then in Africa, there's a, uh, in much of Africa, there's a sense that uh, South Africa is soaring its weight around. South Africa thinks it's better than others. So I don't know if, uh, if we still hold that uh, moral high ground
0: now ismail for young south africans right the born free, the millennials would you say they are perhaps more successful in breaking down the racial barriers and socio-economic divisions
1: uh, yes i one of the things that surprises me uh, about the, the younger generation um the, the early 20s those in their early 20s is their optimism and that, so there are two two broad groups if i can if i can do that there's the young who are very optimistic And then there are the young ones, mainly associated with the populists, who have this idea that they weren't around when the Constitution was signed, so the Constitution doesn't apply to them. Therefore, the Constitution has to go, which is what gives rise to a lot of violence, a lot of Mm populism. And because of poverty, inequality, and a lot of injustice, homelessness, unemployment, the populists are tapping into that, it's making a lot of young people very angry, you know, memory is a very powerful thing. The the person who introduced me to journalism, Don Matera, wrote uh, Memory is a Weapon. And what what I find is that they have no memory of the violence that we suffered in the late 80s and early 90s. They don't understand the difficulties we went through to get to a point where we all sit down. You know, we couldn't blow each other up or decapitate each other or fight each other until we liked each other. We had to sit down and say, Okay, well let's stop this fighting and see what we can get out of this. And I think that was they they don't have memory of that. So they think that it was simply uh Mandela going on his knees uh and begging for the keys. Uh, when it wasn't like, it was really difficult. And it these and that's when I was a journalist and it was extremely difficult. I must remember we were faced at the time with the National Party, the SADF, the South African Police Service, Mm. um, controversies where uh, the AWP, there were all these militant and military factions drawing us, as well as in Qatar, drawing us into a deep conflict and something had to be done to put an end to that. So that is where we are at the moment with the young people. They're the very creative and optimistic ones and they're doing really well. And then there are the ones that I think are very dangerous.
0: Now Ismail, let's come back to your book Did you have maybe a specific audience in mind Or will it appeal to also the Africans Young and old?
1: Well no, I think it should just Appeal to everybody I, You know, I actually didn't write it For anybody in particular The thing about the book is You know, as a journalist Having been a journalist for 35 years And having written speeches uh, For various people You're know, always writing about what's going on Outside of the world You look outward But the book I looked inward a lot but I also knew and I think I make the point right at the beginning to say that I'm not personally a very interesting person but I've lived in interesting times so the memoir is sort of a hybrid between my life and commentary and analysis of the times in which I've lived so you know I raise for example in some somewhat of a light hearted note that the day that I was born Pele at the age of 17 scored the goal that won Brazil, the World Cup against Sweden. So you you kind of situate your life in the broader conditions in which you were born and how they shaped your life. And that, that was my intent to the book.
0: So to everyone tuning in right now across the country and globally as well, audio streaming, where is the book available, Ismail?
1: The, the book should be available in uh, all good bookshops. Um, it was officially released uh, on Friday, although uh, the, the printer's surprise us. And sent out a few books earlier Two weeks earlier But uh, because it's a long weekend Not all bookshelves may have them Let's say from tomorrow it's available We'll have a formal launch in Cape Town uh, Early next month
0: Great stuff, speaking of Cape Town uh, Ashna Singh is out there, he says love this interview And I'm sure it's going to be a good book to read As well as from Ashna in uh, Cape Town Now finally Ishmael, um closing comments From you to everyone tuning in this afternoon
1: I, I don't like being didactic, but so let me tell you how I how I live my life. I, I never treat people as means to an end. I always treat people as ends in themselves. In other words, I am kind to you, not because you're going to be kind to me in return. I'm kind to you just because it's good to be kind to someone. And I think that should be a driving force for all of us. Do good for the sake of doing good. Don't be transactional or utilitarian and do good because you're going to get something back. And that's all I can say. It's the way I try to live my life.
0: Great stuff indeed. Writer and political economist Ismail Lagadin. thank you very much for joining us live on the official drive this afternoon. All the best with the book and God bless you.
1: Thank you very much. You're welcome.